Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it's unique in its approach, using the RIPED method for growing and building a farm or farm business. SFU membership includes access to a private Facebook group and monthly live Q&A sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Taylor Ayers, who is co-owner of Ayers Valley Farm in Southern Ohio. After experiencing health issues that no doctor could pinpoint, Taylor and her husband, Josh, started digging deeper into how their food was raised. Seven years later, they're running their own regenerative farm, offering a range of high quality meats to loyal customers all around the country. Taylor, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Michael. I'm excited to be here. So share a little bit of your background. You talked about your health issues. Kind of what did that bring about? Did you guys start immediately raising your own meat after that? Or is it kind of a gradual journey? So to back up a little bit, Josh and I first, when we met, he had come from um, a family farm. They actually don't live, but just two miles down the road from us, but they were more um, like they would raise, raise their own cattle and then they would haul them to the stockyards and just sell in that market. And they have a hay operation. So he came from that line, whereas my background was more like 4-H FFA, um, my dad had a few cows growing up, but it wasn't something like a lifestyle that we really um, lived in. So Josh and I, when we first met, he had just bought the farm. Um, he had graduated from the University of Cincinnati and decided city life wasn't for him. He wanted to come back to the farm. So he bought this place and we met shortly after and we had bought a few cows. So this was all before my health issues really started. Um, I was gotcha. very active. I was very active growing up, like cheerleading, gymnastics, um, softball. There was nothing that really slowed me down. And so I started working an office job uh, during college and then after college. And that's kind of when like my sedentary lifestyle and then, you know, eating fast food because there were things, you know, I had to be doing, had to be going. Um, and then I met Josh and we had decided, okay, well, since we have a farm, we're going to go ahead and buy a few cows and we're going to, you know, feed them grain, do what other people do around here and just raise a few and not really like make a business of it, more of a hobby. We could, we were probably going to sell into, um, the stockyards and things as such, but we quickly <laughs> realized that that was not the plan that God had intended for us because I got sick and um, just went through all kinds of issues, going back and forth to doctors. And basically to make a long story short is I was told that I had probably picked up a virus. This is the only conclusion that they could come to. I had probably picked up a virus that may or may not go away. 
so I could have these impacts from the food that I was eating for the rest of my life. And I was not happy with that answer at all. (laughs) And neither was my husband. So we decided, okay, we've got to take matters into our own hands because we had spent thousands of dollars just trying to get answers. And, you know, realistically, we thought it was an autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, they run a, many people in my family have autoimmune disorders. So I thought, okay, that's probably normal for me to have one. And um, I started seeing a holistic practitioner and she was like, okay, what are you eating? And I was like, you know, the normal stuff. I'm like, she's like, no, but what, like, how is it raised? And I was like, I don't know. It's farm fresh. Like, I don't know. And she was like, well, what are those animals eating? And I was like, I don't have the answer to that because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I was raising it at that time. And so I really didn't know. And so that's really what started the whole journey was, okay, if I don't know what it's eating, I probably shouldn't be eating it. And so we started with, um, beef cattle because we had Angus and we switched over to, um, we had a few trial and errors. We switched to a couple different breeds, but ultimately we landed on South pole cattle and they're great for, um, grass finishing, which is what we produce. And, um, it just started there. And we noticed as soon as we got that first animal back that my health issues went away really? and I, yeah, I had no, um, any kind of like normally if I would go out and eat somewhere, we would be heading directly home afterwards because I would be sick, just mm-hmm. sick to my stomach in the next couple yeah. of days. It would almost be like a hangover feeling. Like I would feel bad after I ate for the next several days. And so it never really went away. So after we got our first hundred um, percent grass fed beef back, it was life-changing honestly. And so we decided, okay, well, if this makes such a difference, I don't want to eat beef every day of my life. So we're going to try to do pork and chicken as well. And so that's what started it. And that's where we're at today is we decided, okay, well, if I have these issues and other people have had these issues, then we don't need to just do it for ourselves. We need to help other people and make sure that people are living their life to the fullest and getting these healthy needs that they ultimately deserve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then with the pork, cause obviously they're not grass fed. I'm assuming you're just feeding, talk to us about like what you're feeding with the pork and the chicken. Yeah. So we do non GMO corn and soy free. So they are fed like a wheat, barley, pea, and then there's different um, minerals and such added into that feed. Mm-hmm. We work with a uh, small local producer who specializes in local grains, um, all non GMO. And so with the corn and the soy free, we really try to uh, tailor it down to people who have food allergies who cannot consume those. Um, and they're looking for meat that doesn't contain any of that corn or soy. So that's what we offer. Um, it's very, it's a very small community, I would say of people who have searched for this, but it's, becoming larger because there are people who are realizing, oh, I do have a corn allergy or or, I do have this, or I don't react well with this. And so they just want to eliminate it from their diet. So the, the hogs are out on pasture. Um, they're in silva pasture paddocks, and then the chickens are out in the pasture. Um, and we move them every single day. And then the hogs are getting moved every seven to 10 days, depending on rainfall. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I'm assuming then there's got to be a pretty specific folks that are looking for what you're offering. 
how do you reach those those that specific demographic? Yeah, so we use uh, the power of social media. So we've got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I haven't really ventured into TikTok very much. That's something <laughs> that's a little bit of a yeah. piece that I haven't tackled. Um, but definitely social media. Email marketing is one thing that um, I think a lot of people don't take advantage of. But having our website, you know, we we run um, Facebook ads. We've ran Google ads in the past to just reach different people. Um, but mostly social media and then our email marketing. So we use social media to drive people to our website. And then that's where they can sign up for our newsletters to learn more about our farm, to get the nurturing campaigns, um, to see what we've got going on and if there's any events that they can come to on the farm. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about the farm side now. So how many acres on the farm do you have? So we own and lease land, but we are running uh, roughly 500 acre acres total. So half of that would be pasture and half of it is wooded area. Um, we're in Southern Ohio. So it's like rolling hills where we are. Uh, we're pretty mm -hmm. close to the river. Um, so the, the land is beautiful, but it definitely is not flat pasture land like most people think about. <laughs> yeah, we're in, yeah. We're in cattle country. Yeah. So you're down by the Chillicothe area, that, that general area? Um, I'm not too, I'm about an hour and 20 minutes from Chillicothe. Okay. All right. So I, yeah. All right. I know your area is. Um, so I'm south. I'm towards the Ohio River, like right across from Kentucky. Okay. So you're pretty darn close to the river then. Yes. Yeah. We're like mm, 15 minutes from the river. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, all right. So then with that, um, are you upgrading your pastures at all, reseeding them, or are you just running with whatever's in the pasture for your animals? So when we, when Josh first bought the farm, um, it was actually in soybeans. So okay. we, we let it have a year of rest um, after the soybeans uh, were taken and then we seeded it with all native uh, grasses. And so that's where um, we basically have used the cattle and the chickens. The pigs have been through that area once. Um, so this is on our home farm and we've got 72 acres here. Um, but we have ran the cattle through and really over time it's crazy because as the animals have eaten and then, you know, it comes out the back end, the more diverse the plant species have become. So they're stirring up that seed bank in the soil and it's crazy year after year, there'll be something new. Like we have a plant identifier app that we scan and we mm -hmm. can see what, what the new species are that are coming up. So we haven't, there's a couple fields of the least farm, um, one of the lease farms was very heavy in tobacco. Um, so that's something that we're working to regain the soil because a lot of the nutrients were taken off of it and not put back on. So we're working with the cattle and the chickens to be able to put that uh, fertilizer, that natural fertilizer back down. And then we will probably end up frost seeding it um, next year. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, so share a little bit about... Um, the processing. So how do you process the animals? Yeah. So we use a small USDA, um, processing facility. It's family owned and operated. They are, um, we have to use USDA because we ship our products across state lines. 
Um, so what we do is, you know, we'll load up the animals. Uh, we have a, we have a red meat processor and then we have our, um, poultry processor. There's two separate ones, but they're both small family owned. Um, but we will load up the animals and take them there normally. Like we're actually loading, uh, steers up this evening and hauling them. So we process throughout um, the spring and the fall. Normally we don't do a whole lot of summer, but we've got a few and we're trying to work towards a year round production for our beef. Um, But our pork and our chicken is very seasonal because the winters in Ohio just don't allow us to uh, produce year round. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then with your, you said you ship across state lines. So what percentage of your meat is shipped versus picked up locally? I would say, I, you know, that's a good question. I've never actually looked at that. Um, I would say 90% of our meat is shipped and 10% is local. We are very rural. Um, we just okay. started a farm store here at the farm, but like, Cincinnati is the closest city to us or larger city. And that's about like an hour, hour and 15 minutes away. So a lot of people don't want to do, you know, don't want to drive out that far just to get meat. So we offer the convenience of it being shipped right to their doorstep. Um, and we'd offer a subscription program as well. So all the orders over $149 are shipping free right to their doorstep. So it's super convenient for mm-hmm. them. They get to, you know, go out and enjoy their weekends and do all the things that they want to do, but yet not have to worry about going to the grocery store for that. So then let's talk about this, the shipping system you use. What does that typically cost to ship a box? I'm certain you're going with special rates from FedEx or is, is uh, what are you, what, what are you using to ship them? So we exclusively use UPS. Uh, that's what we started with. They mm-hmm. have been great out of a couple thousand boxes that we've sent. Um, we've had maybe five that have had issues. Um, and that's been since uh, 2020. So we're going on close. To, well, it'll be, yeah, it'll be three years here. Um, Cause we started shipping in the fall of 2020. So like five boxes in three years. That's great. We can't complain about that. Um, but we use, uh, green cell phones who we currently use. We used to use IPC liners. Um, the green cell phone is made from cornstarch. So it's more eco-friendly. Um, basically once our customers get the package, they can take the plastic off of, it's like a, like a fine film plastic, they can take that off, recycle it, and then the cornstarch can be composted. Uh, they can just run water over it and it will completely dissolve. Um, so it's it's a really cool product that we've um, we've accepted into our program. So we use that. We use recycled um, cardboard boxes. So it, we try to keep it as eco-friendly as possible. Um so we'll use that and then we package everything with dry ice to keep it frozen. So it's packed mm-hmm. for it flash frozen at the processor. We have a freezer trailer that we use to pick it up. We bring it back to the farm and house it here in um, walk-in freezers. And then we pack it. It's stored at negative 10 and negative 20. So we'll pack it at that. And then we put dry ice um, in there with it. And then we'll tape it up. UPS picks it up. We ship out every Monday and boxes are delivered on Tuesday and Wednesday. So it's either one or two day delivery. 
Uh, we mm. tried three day deliveries. Um, they worked okay, but we like for the product to arrive frozen and it was starting to thaw at that point or it was thawed. And I just didn't want customers to ever worry about, yeah. you know, the, the quality of the product. So we went back to just one and two day shipments. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, share a little bit about um, the team that you have on. How big of a team do you have and like you, how are you splitting the roles up? Oh, our team is my husband and I, <laughs> we right. are, we are very small. Um, we have my brother-in-law who is able to help. So my husband's brother, um, he helps us with the chicken production. Um, I am not a huge fan of chickens. I have a fear of birds, which sounds crazy because we raise a lot of chickens, mm. but, um, my brother-in-law, he will do that. So we also have a dairy cow. So normally in the morning time, I will go and milk our dairy cow while the boys are uh, moving all of the chickens because we try to keep everything as low stress as possible for all of the animals. So we try to do it when it's cool out and there's still dew on the ground, just makes it easier for everybody. So they, they split up and do, um, the chickens. And then normally my husband and I are moving the cows. Um, and then he works off the farm. My husband does. So, um, throughout the day, I'll check on the animals, but then we'll team back up in the evening time. Once he gets home to, if there's any fence that needs prepared for the next day to move the cattle or whatever needs done to kind of prepare for the next day, that's what we do. So, for shipping, um, sometimes my mother-in-law will help me. She's a school teacher, so in the summertime she helps. Um, other times I just have seasonal help that'll come in. But a lot of the time, it is just my husband and I working, <laughs> working our yeah. butts off trying to get everything done. Yeah, yeah. But if you're not processing anything yourself, then that's a lot less. If it's just yeah, you're raising it, goes off to deliver it, and then um, yeah. Yeah, raising it, hauling it, um, picking it back up, doing all the inventory. We have a lot of help from family during the times where it's like we need more hands on deck. Um, and they're happy because, you know, there's always packages that whether they don't, you know, the label is crooked or it doesn't fit right. They're always happy to help because those get to go home into their freezer at no at no cost. They just have to help us <laughs> when we're sorting yeah. So. So it works out. We, we make do the ultimate goal is to have uh, Josh, my husband home full time. And then we'll probably end up hiring a farm hand to help and help us grow with production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by small farm university, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Applying what you learn in SFU could save you thousands of hours and thousands of dollars. And it can save you the agony of costly mistakes some make just because they don't know what they don't know. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it is unique in its approach, using the ripened method for growing and building a farm or farm business. Here are a few highlights of what SFU has to offer in its growing library of resources. Find your perfect farm property. Whether you're renting or purchasing, this course guides you through vetting the farm property and determining how or if it suits your business needs. We give you the secret sauce for what makes a profitable farm property and help save you thousands of dollars. Start your farm intensive. 
fleshing out your farm idea, craft your one-page business plan, and discover the right funding options for your business. Use our business templates, worksheets, and calculators to figure out the numbers as you go. Farmer's Market Success System. Learn how to attract and convert customers by building an unstoppable marketing and business system for your farmer's markets. Production Mastery Series. Learn all about growing, harvesting, and drying greens. Learn about tunnel building and take special classes such as brand new and very popular Elderberry Masterclass. We include real-life examples and calculators for figuring out fertility rates, how much money you are actually making, and where your profit is coming from. Business Systems and Marketing Courses. Learn about the SFU Ripen Formula for Success, develop your marketing plan, and join in for behind-the-scenes tours of real farm businesses. Learn the systems you need to run your business well and how to hire a team to help you. And learn how you can add value to what you produce to generate even more income with minimal additional time and expense. In addition, members of SFU get access to the Growing Farmer Summits on demand with over 100 sessions of targeted areas of interest to farmers. These annual online events have attracted over 100,000 people from around the world, and they are included in your SFU membership as a bonus. SFU membership includes access to a private member group, monthly group Q&A sessions, and even one-on-one coaching sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. So um, let's uh, talk about the uh, where you're headed with the business. What do you see in the next couple of years for your growth? So hopefully we continue to expand. Um, right now we have a herd of... 100 and I think it's like 120 that's our total herd size with you know calves mamas steers all of them combined together so hopefully we continue to grow um with our cattle operation hogs is definitely something that we're looking forward to growing we've got um two gilts that we kept back and we are going to attempt to um pharaoh this winter mm-hmm. so we've got we've and we are hopefully going to have some piglets this winter because buying piglets is very expensive when you are trying to pass that cost along to the consumer, you know, through the meat, everything has to be wrapped up in that price. Um, and so we're looking to, to kind of scale up, but also reel in the cost and make it more affordable for more people, uh, to get our pork. And then chickens we're running, um, like 3000 to 4,000 each year. Um, and that's increased every year. Chicken is something that is just a crazy business to be in. Um, so we're looking just to scale and grow throughout the next few years. Hopefully we can bring on more people onto our team and have, Uh you know, be able to employ people full time, um, and get my husband home full time. So yeah, we're just, taking it day by day, we're working it and hoping to reach more people and, you know, be able to provide meat to more people across the United States who are looking for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Recently, you did a post on the um, MRA vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, and uh, yeah. kind of share a little bit about that because I know that's a to- hot topic right now. Yeah, so that is definitely something that people are very concerned with. Um, For every producer, you have to make your own calls on what works best for you, what works best for your animals. 
Um, for us with the regenerative approach that we take, we're removing the animals every day. Um, they, they live very low stress lives. Um, we don't have to vaccinate our animals. That's a touchy subject for a lot of people, but it's what works for us. We have in the past vaccinated and we got rid of those animals because they just didn't fit the bill that we, you know, we run around here. Um, so with the mRNA, it's something that people are concerned about and I get it, but we just comfort them and letting, and letting them know that our animals are not vaccinated at all. Um, so they never have to worry about that with our meat. We don't give any kind of, um, antibiotics. Sorry, my brain is not working at the moment. So antibiotics, we don't give, um, if, an animal is suffering and it needs it. If there's an infection, something's going on. Obviously we're not heartless. We're not going to let it yeah. suffer. We, we just treat it. And then, um, under a vet's guidance, and then we will tag that animal record it in our books. And that animal will never go into our meat, uh, meat program. doesn't mean that the meat is bad. It just means that it's going to go into our personal freezer or our family's freezer because we never want our customers to worry about it. So, um, with the mRNA, I think right now it's a hot and heavy topic, but I think it'll pass. It's like everything else. It comes in waves and you just have to ride it. You just kind of have to. Yeah. Um, I, I love to say that people, I shouldn't say people, all people, but some people really like to say, oh, farmers live this great luxurious lifestyle. And then on the other hand, they think that we're trying to kill them. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we can't, we but there's no like there's no in between for people it's either one or the other it's like oh you're living the best life and on the days where it's pouring down rain and we're out there and just cussing and just yeah. hating our jobs at that time it's like man what are we doing this for but it it makes it all worth it in the end when when we hear the stories of people who are like your meat has changed my life I seriously have never felt so good and I'm mm. like I get it I was there so I get it completely, but yeah, the mRNA, um, I think it's just a, a kind of a fad. It's a trending thing right now that people just have to answer it as honest as they can. You know, if you vaccinate, if the producer vaccinates, you just have to say, this is what we vaccinate with. And if people choose not to buy, then that's their choice. That's their right as a consumer. Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's only so far we can go. Um, Oh yeah, I, I know for like us, we do non-GMO feed, but we do not do corn and soy free. Um, that's just, we haven't quite gotten there yet now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's it just, yeah, it, it's, it's just what people are willing to pay for. I will say though, that now that we carry other farms meat in our store, we've been blown away by what people will pay. So we have oh, one yeah. producer that charges $30 a pound for his chicken breast. And his boneless, skinless chicken breast. And I'm just blown away that people would pay that, but we've yeah. sold some. So <laughs> it, it, it is, it's crazy what people are willing to pay, but you know, it's about being an informed consumer. So if that's what they yeah. believe in, they're willing to pay for it. And I don't blame them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It comes back to, okay, so obviously that farmer is doing a very good job in educating people on why they need to spend that kind of money, why it costs them that produce that. And that's great. And I actually just recently got an email from him. He's having a free on-farm dinner for his customers. Um, wow. And yeah, so I mean, that's the, that's the level of service, which is having people 
pay those kind of prices for his product. So yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and again, I'm all for farmers getting good, good, very good money for their product. Cause again, we charge pretty good money for our products. So, um, yeah. Um, now that's actually another topic that I think you've written on is the cost of good food. You know, talk a little bit about, you know, how you communicated that with your customers. Yeah, so we've we've talked about it on social media a lot, um, and also I think I wrote a blog post on it. Um, it's been a little while ago, but basically trying to inform consumers that you can't compare, you know, a pound of ground beef from our farm to a pound of ground beef from the grocery store. Mm. Like when you look at them side by side, yes, obviously there's going to be a difference in what they look like, but if you look on our package, you can trace that package back to the animal. Like mm-hmm. we have ear tags, you know, we have paperwork, all of that trails back to the farm. I can tell you exactly what pastures it was on. I can tell you what it ate. I can tell you its birthday. I can tell you the day that it went to processing. I can tell you all of this information um, and really give you a peace of mind with that. But when you go to the grocery store and you pick up a pound of ground beef, there's none of that information. Oh, you see, it's all natural. You see that it's fresh. You see that it's... Um, I don't know, all, all the different label claims that they go through and, you know, that they put just to try to give you peace of mind. But then we have to be the ones that say, okay, our processor can only run, you know, 10 to 20 head through there for the day. Whereas these huge processing facilities are running hundreds of thousands of animals through a day. Mm-hmm. All that is going into one big bulk and it's being all ground together. So you don't know what animal it's going back to. You don't know, you know, if there's stuff that's fallen into that grinder. It's just a big, large mass scale compared to something that's very small. It would, it's just, think about it this way. If you are baking goods, there's a difference between baking in your kitchen at home versus going to a bakery in town and making you know, whatever you're baking, you're going to have different equipment. You're going to have all these things and there's different costs associated with that. These small producers have to upfront all of this cost. They don't have, most of the times they don't have investors. It's what they've pulled out. I know our small family-owned processors, they pulled out of their retirement to build this processing facility so they could serve others. Um, They were farmers themselves and they still are, but they wanted to be able to do this so they quit their full-time jobs and they pulled out their retirements. <laughs> they put them together to start this processing facility. Whereas the large facilities, you know, the big three that are controlling the prices and a lot of times paying the farmers nothing for what they're producing, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're controlling everything from how much the farmers are making, the prices in the grocery stores that you see, and also what is going into their own pockets you know, they're lining their pockets while paying everybody else nothing. And then a lot of times giving, you know, subpar product to the consumer. Um, So yeah, there's just a lot of uh, differences in the quality of product, but also the pricing that we try to show consumers and give them that peace of mind. Like, okay, I know exactly who raised this. I know what it's a, I know where it's been. And it's going to arrive to my door by going to three different places, it's going from the field, the processor, and then to my doorstep. If that's, mm-hmm. that's simple, whereas, you know, from the grocery store, it's been 
around the country, maybe across the water. You just don't know. And we don't want to um, give them that, that false hope that they can really compare apples to apples with the grocery store products. Yeah, no, I think that's super key for folks to understand. Um, and yeah, a lot of farms, you know, they're taking their retirement, they're taking their weekends, they're taking their evening, they're taking their health to produce a high quality product. And uh, people just really need to understand how that looks and yeah, what that needs to be. There's, yeah, there's definitely a price that we pay um, for, the, for the life that we live and for the products that we produce. Um, you know, not only do we have the, the price of the animal and the feed and the equipment that we need to go and check on these animals or go and pro you know, haul them to processing, bring the meat back, the fuel, the time. I mean, we have our labor as well. And I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of people don't want to pay for your labor. They just want to pay for the product so that mm -hmm. you have to be very strategic about how you are putting that into the pricing of your product. I know a lot of, um, local farmers around us, they just kind of try to price their meat based on what the grocery store, store is selling for. And I just think that is absolutely absurd because you cannot compare that, that large scale to your time that you've invested in all of your hard work and money um, and then get less than or right at what the grocery store is charging. <laughs> it's just, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do, what do you have people that reach out and talk about your prices and how do you, uh, go back to talk to them about that? Uh, not a whole lot. We tried to, um, do a good job on our website about explaining what all goes into, uh, raising them, um, you know, about how long it takes, you know, for our beef, it's two years at a minimum for us to be able to raise hundred percent grass fed beef well. And so, it's really all about consumer education. I think I've had a few people like when we've ran Facebook ads comment on there and be like, you want $50 for one steak? And mm. I, I'm just like, yeah, because I've got two years of time. You know, I then will send them a message privately and be like, yeah. hey, thanks for reaching out. And then take that as an opportunity to explain to them, okay, yeah. this is why it costs that much. Um, and a lot of times people are like, oh, okay, I get it. And other times people basically just tell me to get away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't really want to know. I just wanted to make it be, be mad at you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's a lot. I love keyboard warriors when they want to get on there, get on social media and kind of bash people and then say, well, I'm not going to listen to you. You're a stranger on the internet. And I'm like, yeah. but you're a stranger on the internet. Like you're asking me questions and I'm just trying to, I never approach it as a, um, like a way to tear someone down or make them feel less than I always try to, um, put it as a teaching opportunity. That's something that the biggest thing about farming has taught me is that you never know it all. There is always something that you are going to learn every single day. You're either going to learn how to do something better, or you're going to learn something new altogether. Yeah. Um, and so we try to take that approach with our customers of just informing them, making sure that they feel comfortable, that they don't have any questions. Uh, recently, we did a virtual farm tour like video series. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of people who come out to the farm 
um, and just want one-on-one tours, which is great. We're fine with that. Um, a lot of times we do it before our store opens on the weekends and then they're able to shop afterwards after they've learned all about the process of how we do everything. Um, but for those people who aren't local, we still want them to have that experience and have that knowledge that they would get as if they were here on the farm with us. So we tried to put that together, which I think is a great idea for all people um, who are producing any type of food or product to do is walk through the steps, answer all the questions that you've ever gotten, create a frequently asked questions page where you constantly add to it. Um, because the more, I mean, knowledge is power. So the more that you can give the consumer, the more likely they are to purchase from you. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, we find it's, it's that, that's that, um, that relationship, building that relationship is what it takes to get people to buy from you and then build and then keep buying from you and increase their average sale order. I mean, we have people that now come into our store and we'll spend, you know, 80, dollars and it's because they've been shopping with us for, and now they're just, you know, buying the vegetables. Now we're having the meat, now they're adding the bread, the milk, the eggs. So we're pretty much, you know, covering everything in there. Um, yeah. actually my wife just texted me. She says, are oh, you on a podcast right now? And then she looks at my calendar and she says, oh my gosh, Ayers farm. And then she, one of our friends is obsessed with your bacon, apparently. So, oh my gosh, that's incredible. I love it. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Well, anything else you would like to share before we go? No, I think that we've covered a lot of good things. Um, I mean, for anyone listening, if there's ever like questions that you have, whether it's about what we produce or, you know, social media, anything like that, we are an open book. Um, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, I'll charge you $50 to answer a question. <laughs> we yeah. are we are all about trying to get more people on board with farming, with selling direct to consumer. There are plenty of people in this world that I think really need to get back and understand, like, we need to connect to the land. We need to understand where our food is coming from and about the production methods that it takes to produce that food. Um, so yeah, if there's ever anything that I can do for someone or my husband, Josh, we are here. I think you'll probably put our contact information in the show notes. So um, reach out and we're here to help in any way that we can. All right. Well, appreciate you coming on. And final question, what's your favorite pool on the farm? My favorite tool, oh man, it's probably going to have to be, well, we have a Kubota RTV and I would say that thing is probably my favorite tool because yeah. <laughs> we do a lot of running and without that, I don't, I don't know that I would be able to survive. <laughs> yeah. We actually literally today just picked up a golf cart. So we are finally entering the, uh, the motorized moving around the farm. So we're super excited. Yes. about that. It is so nice. You're going to love it. Yeah. And we have a f- very flat farm, so we don't need like an actual, like, um, you know, aggressive anything or, and we don't carry a whole lot I and mean, we're mostly harvesting vegetables and carrying a few bags of fertilizer around or something like that. So uh, we can get away with a pretty minimal, um, Heart. But yeah, a UTV um, or ATV or uh, golf cart are so essential for farms. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If that was the one thing that when we started, my dad was like, you're going to have to get this because you're not going to make it without it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so yeah. When we started the farm, he was like, 
I'll, I'll give you some money to go and get you one because you're not going to make it without it. So definitely thankful for that. Thankful for all the things that, you know, we had when we started, but that and geared reels, I don't know that we would be able to do what we can do like with our cattle and even mm-hmm. with our chickens without, I think it's Terragate is the brand that we use, okay. um, but a geared reel. Oh man. It is fantastic to be able to move the cows. Um, you know, we use solar fence chargers. And so mm-hmm. yesterday when we were separating the steers that were hauling to the processor, I mean, it's low stress. They're so used to that, that poly wire on that yeah. reel that I'll grab one and I grab the other. And, you know, we're just kind of walking with them and they're used to it. And so then yeah. they walk down to the canal. So yeah, it's, it's great. And then we also use it for our chickens to keep the predators out. So it's, it's a um, multi-use tool around the farm. Very cool. All right. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your farm story. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to hearing who else you have on. All right. This year's Midwest Mechanical Weed Control Field Day, the nation's premier event for cultivation tools, taking place on Wednesday, September 27th at the Ohio State University Farm in Worcester, Ohio. The field day connects farmers, machinery manufacturers, and researchers for a single day event that draws farmers from all over the Midwest. It is the place to see weeding tools of all scales for vegetables and row crops. From two wheel walk behind tractors to camera guided toolbars to autonomous laser weeders. Come for the trade show, education sessions, and field demonstrations. To register and learn more, call 217-840-2128 or visit thelandconnection.org. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.